All right, good morning. Good to see everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. So just real quick, before we jump in, to go with the video that Jenny was talking about missions and what's going to be happening in this coming week and how you can be a part of it. Um, so one of the things we want to make sure of is, is that it's not just like, oh, it's so cool, the mission team's leaving, hope everything goes well. We want to be a part of it. We want to be able to, to watch their progress because one of the things that we know about missions, right, is you're going to go and you're going to make a difference, but most of the times it makes a difference in you, right, so the people that are there. And so we want to be praying for that, praying with them so you can get on the app and follow along. Hopefully you're on social media and you can see what's happening specifically so you can pray with them and pray with whatever's going on down there. But the other thing that you can do is so tomorrow morning at 7.30, right out here by the shed in the back, everybody's going to be gathering to pray. Um, so we invite everybody to come, whether you have somebody going on the trip, whether you are going on the trip, come, be a part of, pray over, pray with, and again, see the faces of the people that are going out to serve. So we're inviting you guys to, to come to that. Hopefully you'll participate and be a part of it if you can. Good? All right. If you have a Bible, turn to Galatians 5. So in Galatians 5 and 6, so this is kind of the end of uh, what we're doing, and over the next two, three, four weeks, I'm not sure, but we should be ending up Galatians. Now, I want to talk about the theme of Galatians at the end, because Obviously, we know in the beginning, the theme was, or the concept was, the church was in trouble because they believed in a false gospel, right? So Galatians is to say, don't believe in a false gospel, understanding what you're being taught is wrong, and here's what's right. Like, that was the beginning. But the end of Galatians to the church and to us takes on somewhat of a different theme, and that is this. You need to learn what it means when Christ says, I've set you free, right? So he's going to talk about freedom. What does freedom look like? How can we participate in freedom? And not only can how we sing about freedom, but how do we live as free Christian people, right? Like, what does that look like? And then the other thing he says, which has to go together, right? You can't look at these two things separately. If you are set free and living in freedom, right? Like if you're set free and you're living in freedom, you have to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Like that's the way that, it, that it's got to work, right? So you can't be where, you know, I want to live uh, free or set free and live with the freedom of Christ without the leading of the Holy Spirit. Those things have to go together. Does that make sense? So in Galatians 5, we're going to focus on, first, what does it mean to be free, and what does it mean to have freedom, and also at the same time, what it means to live as if you are set free, and then how do you live in the power of the Holy Spirit? Now, to get us there, I want to give us some examples of like freedom in our culture, or how we look at freedom in our culture today, so that it can apply and or make sense to you know, what's going on uh, inside of the church. So before I even say it, I want you to, to not get too mad right from the start, okay? Because I'm going to give you some examples or some things that some of you from a positional standpoint might be like, oh, that, that idea or those things, why would you bring that up inside of the church? So before you get, you know, all upset, remember why we're talking about it right? And remember what the concept is. So talk about freedom, right? The, the good things about freedom and the problems with freedom. So here's the deal, right? So when it comes to freedom, we all want freedom until freedom doesn't work. Does that make sense? So I'll just give you an example. I don't really know this because I don't watch news on a regular basis, but so I don't know if what I'm watching is old news, but it's still news, right? So um, one of the things that's happened lately, there's been this attack on, like, if you're a billionaire, you're bad, right? And so they're actually um, testifying in front of Congress, like, this idea that if you make too much money, you know, and what you're doing with your money, and we have to figure out, you know, congressionally, we got to step in because, you know, there's too many billionaires, and these billionaires aren't sharing their money, and so we got to figure all this out, right? So in this one uh, thing that I watched was Howard Schultz, the guy that started Starbucks, you know, so I don't know. I've read his book. I love the book, the whole idea of, of how it got started. And, you know, Howard Schultz came from subsidized housing. Like, he didn't have anything, and he worked his way out of it. And now he's a billionaire. 
And he says, as a billionaire, right, here's the idea. As I make money, the more money that I make or the things that I'm doing, I want to be able to give it away, right? Like, I want to use the money that I've made to employ people, right, to, to employ people and give them a job and give them benefits. I want to be able to give people... in the world is going on? I'm sorry. I just lost my focus. Anyway, so the whole idea of the concept is, is that, so here's Howard Schultz. He makes all this money, but he says to the people when he makes some money, like, I've made this money, and it's not bad because I'm giving the money away, right? Like, I'm going to give money back to people. Now, that's good, right? So people, we're all sitting here saying, that's good as long as Howard Schultz shares, right? Now, listen, like, you're sitting there, you, <laughs> believe me, you do believe this, right? Like, as long as the guy makes money and he employs other people, that's all a good thing. And in our heart, we know it's all a good thing. But what happens is, right, people see people who make a lot of money who aren't good with it right? So they don't share it. They oppress other people. They use their power and they use their money to go against other people. And so here's the idea, right? This is what I'm trying to get at. Every time that there is freedom, right? And freedom gets outside of our control of what we think should be controlled. Our natural tendency is to put something in place so we can control it, right? So the idea is we can't just leave it up to, because here's what we're, here's what we're trusting. The, the reason that Howard Schultz gives money away because he's a billionaire is because inside of his heart, his heart is good, right? So he gives away money because inside of his heart, he wants to give away. The people that are not doing it, their problem is what? Their heart, right? Their greed. So what we do is instead of trying to fix the problem, because you know where the problem really is, right? It's inside of them. So instead of fixing the problem, we want to put a law in place to govern the problem out of them right? So if we put this law in place, here's what we think. If we put a law out there that would say, no more can anybody make all this money unless they give all this money away and you redistribute wealth, because they think that's the answer to fix the problem. Is this making any sense? Right? You think that if it's out of control and you put a law in, that a law somehow fixes the heart? The law never fixes the heart. Are we understand that? Or maybe something, this, this might actually be closer to home. So I grew up with this idea that I believe in the Second Amendment, right? Like I think I ought to be able to bear arms, I ought to be able to protect my family, and I ought to be able to have a gun, right? Like, and I don't care what kind of gun it is, I ought to be able to have it, right? Like that's just what I think my constitutional right is. But there have been people who have used guns and went out and done stupid things, right? We all agree with that, right? Like, they went out and done stupid things. So, they, so the issue is, you know that the way that we're going to fix it? You know how we're going to fix it? So that the idea is we're going to govern laws around firearms and buying firearms and doing firearms because that's surely going to fix the problem with a person that goes in and shoots up a school. Now think about this. Is that really the problem? What's wrong with a person that goes and shoots up a school? Like, there's something wrong in here and in here, right? Like, that, you can't govern out, you can't put a law to, to change what's really broken. Are we tracking, right? Same concept. So you're raising your kids, right? So when your kids are young, you know, we put a lot of rules in place because they're just young, right? Like, they just don't know. And so you put rules in place. And then as they get older, we as parents say, well, you're getting older, you should surely have more freedom, right? Parents, this is the way it goes, right? Like, they get older, they shouldn't have to be told certain things because they're old enough to know. Would that be better? Like, you're old enough to know, you're old enough to understand, you're old enough to go down these roads, you should get it. So this is what we do. So as parents, we start to give our kids freedom, right? But guess what happens when the first time your kid screws up? Now think about this, right? The first time your kid screws up, what's the thing that we do? Is we take away their freedom by adding another rule because here's what we think. More rules are going to fix why your kid broke the law to begin with. 
True? Not true? Right? Like we think, well, the more rules that we have in place, surely that's going to fix the problem. But you know what? You know where the real problem is? In here. Right? We know that rules inherently don't fix kids because here's what we know. Once kids get outside of rules, they do whatever they want. Right? Once they get outside of your realm of rules, they choose to do anything that they want to do. Right? So rules don't fix the heart of the problem. Now, I know all of you guys are out there like, we're just saying we should have no rules and have a lawless society. No, I get it. There's an understanding that there needs to be rules, but remember, these rules will never fix the inherent problem. The inherent problem with our kids and with the things that are going on in the world is in here, right? And so when we look at or when we go down the road and we start looking at it now from a church standpoint, Right? So now let's bring it back to this idea of what's the struggle inside of the church that Paul's talking about? Right? Well, here's the struggle. Right? Freedom in Christ has led to people doing things that they're not supposed to do. Right? Like freedom in Christ lends itself to, oh, I'm saved, and so because I'm saved, I can do whatever I want to do. Right? And so what happened is, with people, this is what happened. So when the church started to go down this road, and Paul's like, there's freedom in Christ, and people started to live out that freedom. Some people lived it out in the right way, and some people lived it out in the wrong way. Some people lived it out in this idea that I need to be free to have the following of Jesus Christ and do everything that he asked me to do. That's freedom in Christ. Some of it was, oh, I got saved, and now I can do whatever I want to do. So you know what the answer is to, to things like that inside of the church? Just add another rule. And here's the problem in the church. Unfortunately, the rules that they added was to make you feel guilty so they could control the masses. Does that make sense? Right? The idea of, again, why rules, again, outside of the freedom in Christ were brought into the church was this idea. It's like, I have to make sure that you know you're bad so that you're shamed, and the way that you can be good is do what I tell you to do. Have you seen this? Right? Like, this happens all the time inside of the church. People come and say, you know, I'm bad. The church said I'm bad. And so what's the answer to being bad? You do this. And if you don't do this, then we're not going to like you. We're not going to accept you. We're not going to be a part of what we're doing until you do what we have garnered as good and right. Right? That's what Paul's trying to figure out. So Paul, when he talks in Galatians and he says freedom in Christ and what it means to be live, live led by the Holy Spirit, what he's saying to them is, here's what you need to understand. You need to understand what true freedom really is. And you need to know that your natural tendency, right, this is everybody's natural tendency is, when you have freedom in Christ, your natural tendency is when you feel like things are getting out of control is to add something that will bring back control. And just so you understand, when you follow or live by or led by the Holy Spirit, you don't have control. You will never have control, right? When you think about these concepts of what God asks us to do, or when we're trying to control, think about somebody that you love. This is when it fits in sometimes. Like, I really love somebody, and this person isn't going down the right path, and the first thing that we want to do is get some sort of control because we think somehow our efforts are going to get that person on the right path. True? Not true? Right? Like, because I'm not saying we shouldn't work with those people, but we understand this, right? I hope. You can't change the heart of man. No matter how many rules or what you put in place, you can't change something that's broken that only God can fix. And I only say that because we should be on a journey we should walk with, but we should also understand and trust that the only thing that's going to change him completely is an intervention from Jesus Christ. Right, and an intervention into their life. Okay, so that give you a picture, right, of what, what we're going to be talking about, freedom and the idea and the natural tendency. Okay, so let's go to Galatians 1, and we'll read what he says about freedom. Okay, so Galatians 5, starting in verse 1. Here's what he says. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
So because of that, he knows that there's going to be an enemy against him. So he says, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So he starts right away saying, you need to understand freedom and you need to understand how to live free, right? That, that's an important part of your story. Now, if you've been in a church, here's an example of it and you might know it. If you haven't been in the church, I'm going to try to explain it to the best of my ability. So here's the deal. So do you remember uh, the nation of Israel, they made bad decisions and they ended up in slavery in Egypt? The, the, anyway, if you don't, they did, right? So they made that bad decisions. They ended up in slavery in Egypt. And there's this book called Exodus, which is the story of the nation of Israel being freed, Exodus, out of bondage. And the Exodus is to lead them into what? Freedom, right? Like, that's the whole idea, is, is that in they were in slavery. The nation of Israel is going to have an exodus, and from that exodus, it was going to go into what it meant to be free. Now, think about this. If you're the nation of Israel, so you've been trapped in freedom or in slavery for hundreds of years, and during those hundreds of years, what do you think the nation of Israel felt like? Like slaves, right? Bondage. They, they were crying out. God, we know we made a mistake. Free us from this bondage. Like, this bondage is terrible. Now, think of how this happened. God heard the cry of his people. And what did he do? He sent Moses. Moses shows up on the scene. Think about this. Moses shows up on the scene. They've been in slavery for all of this time. Shows up on the scene. When he shows up on the scene, this is what happens. Pharaoh says, I am never allowing these people to ever be out of slavery. So you know what God does through Moses? He says, hey, Pharaoh, guess what? That's not your decision. My people being free, regardless of who you are in stature, is determined by God and not by you. So he says, now think if you were this nation, think about this for a second. If you were this nation, this is what happened. You're sitting there and all of the sudden, You've been in slavery for all of this time, and here's what happens. Moses shows up, and all of a sudden, the Nile River runs red. There's blood in the river. You've never seen the river. You're like, holy cow, what is going on? There must be a God. There's a plague of locusts. There's a plague of frogs. Like, all of these things, and you're sitting back there saying, wow, God is in control. Clear to this point. Think about this. To the point where the people in the nation, this was the promise. Guess what? Tomorrow night, there's a death angel coming. And here's what you need to know, nation of Israel. If you go in a room and you take the blood of a lamb and you put it on the doorpost of the room that you're in, the death angel will pass over you. Now, none of them understood what that meant, but when somebody says death angel coming to kill the firstborn, most of us are going to be like, if you believe even in an inkling that God is true, guess what you're going to do? You're going to find a room with the blood on the doorpost. So think about this. Your family gathered in a room. Now, remember that there were Israelite families that were families with Egyptian people. So these Egyptian people, so think about gathering a room, and you're all sitting there, and during the night, you start hearing screams. Think about this. From your next-door neighbor where one of your friends is. And you hear these screams because they chose not to put blood on the doorpost and screams and wails and, and crying and sobbing and you wake up the next day and you walk out and there are all these mothers holding their dead babies. There's all of these mothers because think, not all of them were babies. Their firstborn children could have been 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. And there's all these mothers wailing in the streets. And you, by nothing that you did other than get in a room covered by the blood of a lamb, were spared. Can you imagine that? And then all of a sudden, God says, you're going to be free. And they start to leave, and they don't even make it to the Red Sea in freedom, and they're looking back and saying, it would have better to be in slavery. Do you remember the story? They get to the Red Sea, they're cornered, the Egyptians are coming, they all start complaining, well, I, if it was just going to be that God was going to leave us to this place and we're all going to get killed, it would have been better just to stay in, free, or stay in slavery. And then they get into the wilderness, they're free set free by the God 
who saved them. And what do you think they do in the wilderness? Complain about their freedom. They complain about their freedom. They're like, well, back when we were in Egypt, at least we got three square meals. At least when we were in Egypt, we, at least when we were in Egypt, right, they kept going back because the problem with people all of the time that don't understand not just that you are free, but how to live free, this is what happens, right? When you understand or say that you are free, but you don't know how to live free, this is the problem with you. You will always romanticize the past. Always. Like, when you don't get your freedom, you will always romanticize what you did have. Like, think about this for a second. Have you ever heard anybody? Like, I've been this way, so I'm not saying hurt anybody. I'm saying I've heard it. I've said it. It was a lot easier when, right? Like, when you become a believer, like, when you, you're like, you're, well, it's so much easier when I didn't have to think about other people, and all I have to think about it myself. So much easier then. All right, or were you ever like when you first got saved? Like maybe none of you were this way, but I was like, and it was so much funner. I know that's not a word, right? I know funner is not a word, but like life before Christianity was a party and nobody cared. Now you can't even party anymore. <laughs> Didn't anybody ever feel, right? Like did you not feel that way at some point? Like, you romanticize. Now think about this for a second. Think about how stupid this is. Oh, I wish I could go back to slavery where my debt would never get paid and I'm going to spend eternity in hell. I wish I could go back. But you see what we do, right? Like we just romanticize it. We think it was great. We don't really understand what it means to bondage and what it means to be in slavery. And so we romanticize it. We want to go back to it because that's our natural tendency is you don't understand when you are set free how to live free. Okay, now, knowing that the idea is not only to be set free, but to live free, you have to know that there's going to be an enemy against your freedom, right? And when I say this, I'm saying it not even from the standpoint of there's going to be an enemy to your freedom being that Satan is going to come against you, but I'm saying Satan is going to come against you very specifically, and this is how he's going to specifically come against you, right? He's going to bring into your life legalism because legalism is the thing that goes against freedom, right? So the enemy of freedom, the enemy of what Jesus says, you are set free to live free, is legalism. That's the enemy, right? And so what we have to do is understand your enemy. You have to understand that legalism has no part in the freedom of Jesus Christ. We all on that same page, right? Legalism has no part in, in uh, understanding who Jesus Christ is. Now, what is legalism? Okay, so let's make sure we define this first. Legalism is this, that somehow by what you do, God will love you more. Okay, that's, that's legalism. If I come to church, God loves me more. Nope. If I read my Bible, God loves me more. Nope. If I do my devotions, God loves me more. Nope. God's love for you is never changing. And no matter what you do, his love for you will never change. Legalism says that it's something that you can do to somehow earn favor or earn right standing in the eyes of a God who says you can't ever pay your debt. You can't ever pay your debt. Legalism says because you work hard, you can pay your debt. Right? Now, do you want to know if you're a legalist? <laughs> so let's talk through... How do we know that if we err on the side of legalism, right? Well, here's one thing. Here's an indicator. You no longer need the Holy Spirit, right? You no longer need the Holy Spirit. And here's why, right? Because here's what we know. When the Holy Spirit lives in us, right, where does our conviction come from? The Holy Spirit, right? That's where your conviction comes from. Because remember when you got saved, and then something changed inside of you. Well, one of the things that changed inside of you is before when you did this, nobody cared, meaning you, 
you didn't really care, and now all of a sudden it's like, ooh, <laughs> hmm. that wasn't quite the same, right? Like there's something, a conviction that's inside of you that somehow tells you when things aren't good, right? So when things aren't good, we're determining this conviction. Legalism says, I'm good because of these things, these rules that you put in place to make it so that if you follow these rules, you're good. Does that make sense? You don't even need the Holy Spirit because you put a set of rules together and your rules determine whether or not you feel good about yourself or not. That's legalism. You don't need the Holy Spirit. You know how that also plays out, right? It plays out like this. So not only do you not need the Holy Spirit, right? So you don't need the Holy Spirit for yourself, right? And you're not trusting the Holy Spirit for the people that you love. So this is what happens, right? So you're convinced for Tammy to know that she is bad, I have got to tell her. Tammy, you know these things and these things and these things and these things. You know those things are wrong, right? Like, are we, do we really have to tell somebody who has the Holy Spirit living in them that what they're doing is wrong? Right, like, we should trust that inside of Tammy is going to be a twinge that's going to say what she's doing is wrong. You know, when I first got saved, here was the funny thing. I thought it was people's jobs to tell me what I was doing wrong. Did anybody ever have that? Like right after they got saved and then you went and did some things and be like, you know, you're a youth pastor and you shouldn't do. Anybody ever have those? Or you know that, you know, when you get up and preach, you shouldn't do it. And I'm like, I know, I know. I know I'm not supposed to do it. I know that I'm not supposed to go down those roads. But somehow inside of me, I keep making mistakes. And if you think telling me helped, it didn't help. Like it didn't help. Right? So we get to these places where we think we need to be the Holy Spirit in the lives of other people. We think that the only way that people are going to know that they're bad is for us to tell them. That's not your job. That's legalism. Right? Legalism is making sure that you point out the faults in other people, right? either to elevate yourself or to make sure that you, they know that, that you're right and they're wrong. Okay? So they don't need the, the Holy Spirit. The other thing is, is that if you look at people that struggle with legalism, here's the other thing they struggle with. They don't need God anymore. You know why? Because you've set up a system, so everybody has a system, right? You've become the God of your life, so you put together a system, and that system is to make it so that you feel good about yourself and the way that you do things, because you're now the God of your life. Have you ever seen people like this? You know what I mean? They, they put a box up, and inside of their box, they've made this decision of, these are the things that, that make me good, and so they follow all of these rules, and so they've become the God of their life, and they set up all these rules, and not only have they set up all those rules, you know why they don't need God in their life? And neither do you, because I'm going to tell you how you should live too. So you are now going to be the God of other people's lives, because you came up with a box that you said is the right way to live, has anybody ever been around people like this? You know what I mean? Like they put a box together on how that they should live and then they, they, they pass it down to you and say, if you're going to be a really good person, this is how really good people live. I don't know. I've met a lot of people like that who came up with their own little system that all of a sudden they became the God of their lives and not only were they the God of their own lives, now they want to be the God of my life. Right? So no longer do any of us need God right? Because God's taking care of her. We become the God of our own lives. The other thing is, is you don't need any grace. See, if you, so if you didn't wake up today being like, oh, Lord, I'm so thankful for you because I'm terrible. You see, one of the ways that you can know that if you're going to struggle with legalism is if you think you're okay. Like, if you wake, if you don't wake up every day, maybe that's an extreme. I wake up every day being like, I'm so thankful. I have no idea why you just get rid of me. <laughs> like, I think of that all the time. Like, I have no idea why he just doesn't be like, I'm done. You're done. Like, we can use somebody else because there are people way better than you, right? And you know how you determine way better, right? The people that don't make as many mistakes as you do. Right? And you, you work through those things all of the time. And I wake up every day and I'm just like, I'm so thankful for grace. I'm so thankful for mercy because I don't deserve it. He shouldn't use me, but he does anyway. Isn't that cool? 
He does anyway. And I, I need grace. When you wake up every day and you know, you know why I'm good? Because of the things that I've done. And when you don't need the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ anymore, you might want to check your standing. Like you might want to check where you really are because if you get prideful enough in your life or you've been coming to church long enough in your life that you don't think you need the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, you might be wanting to check your faith right? because it might be the wrong place because that's just not the way it works. Here's the other one, and this, this is the one that might make you a little upset. So if you're a legalist, you take things that are neutral and you make them mandatory, okay? So I want you to think about this. If you've ever been to a Discover Life class here at Life Church, here's the things that we talk about. We talk about essentials of salvation and non-essentials, right? So here's what we say. If you're going to come to life, here's some things that we need to agree on. These are essentials of salvation, right? This is what it takes for you to, to get saved. This is what we think about the Bible. This is what we think about God. This is what we think about the Holy Spirit. Like, they're essential things. Like, they're big rocks. And then we have what's called non-essentials, right? They're non-essentials to salvation. You can have an opinion on them. I would just suggest you keep it to yourself right? That's what we say. Like, that's the freedom. Like, that's the way that it works. That's how we talk about it. So just as an example, when people take neutral things and make them mandatory or neutral things and make them dividing things, that's a problem. Then you're a legalist or you're struggling with legalism. Here's an example, baptism, right? Do you realize that the church has split over baptism? Like, not this church, but the church in general has split over baptism because there's these big arguments of like, you know, well, what if, a, what if a person just gets sprinkled? And what if a person doesn't have full immersion? And what if a person, what if, think about this, what if a person gives their life to Jesus Christ today and goes out of here and dies of a heart attack on the way out? And they were never baptized. What are we going to do? That's why we're going to fix the problem. We're going to baptize all these people as infants. And if we baptize as infants, it just covers them all the way through, right? Again, you remember when we can't control things, so we just put laws in place. And when you put laws in place, is that tracking, right? Like, you just put laws in place to fix things that are out of your control. Right? And we've had people come to us before and have talked about this, you know, well, and this is before, like, when I started the church, I'm somewhat ignorant of, like, all of the things that happen in the church, you know, so somebody would come to us and be like, hey, um, like, are you a full this gospel church? Are you a full spirit-led church? Are you a full, you know, and part of their questions were, well, we really need to know if we're going to come to Life Church if you believe in full immersion baptism. And I'm like, that's what you really need to know? Like, I, like, that's really the thing that would make the decision of whether or not you come here is whether or not we believe in full immersion. Here's what we believe in. I'll just tell you what. We're reading Scripture. So when we read Scripture, we see that people were immersed after they made a decision for Jesus Christ. Like, they were immersed, and so we immerse people. Some people we hold under longer than others, but <laughs> we, we put people down. We go all the way under, and we bring people up. But I'll just give you an example. If I am out with somebody, and we are walking around, and they want to get saved and get baptized, and there's nowhere to immerse them, and I have a water bottle, I'm pouring it over their head and saying amen. Why wait? Why wait? Right? Like, I'm not going to go down those roads. I'm not going to split hairs over. That person is saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, not by a horse trough, a heated whirlpool, or a water bottle. Right? So we're not going to fight over those things. If you want to be immersed, we'll immerse you. If you want us to pour a water bottle over your head because we have no ability to be able to do that, we're going to work through that stuff. But I would never make a decision on whether or not they're a full immersion or a water bottle baptism. I would make a decision on how you can reach people for Jesus. You don't even have to worry about it because if you're a legalism church, you don't even have to worry about baptizing people because ain't nobody getting saved. That might have went too far. That's not true. There's people that will get saved. Gosh, I got to work on that. That was too much. The point, does the point make sense though? Like the idea of we're not going to fight over things that don't matter. How about speaking in tongues? This was another thing. People came to us and they were like, are you a full spirit-filled church? And again, I'm ignorant to what they're even talking about. So I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? Well, they're like, well, do you believe that all people, 
And this is a denomination. This is somebody from a local church, a denomination that would come to us and say, if you're a full living by the Spirit church, then you will have a class to teach everybody how to speak in tongues because everybody needs to speak in tongues because if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not going to be able to have the fullness of heaven and the fullness of the Spirit on this earth. And I'm like, well, that's a bunch of crap. That's not what it says. Like, where'd you come up with that? Like, how did you come up with that? Right? Well, again, it's back to the same thing. We can't control who gets the gift of tongues and who doesn't. Right? That's not, that's not our say. That's just the Holy Spirit is the gift from him, and he can give it to whoever he wants. That's what he chooses to do. That's not us. So somehow, we got to put a rule in place inside of a denomination that would say everybody's got to do it because this is what we believe. Right? That's just, that's legalism. That's not the way that it's supposed to work. What you wear, like this is funny, like nobody would think this because you come to life, but you know there are churches that it matters what you wear to church. Right? I, it's funny because Ernie was sitting up here in the first service way back when, when we were upstairs. Ernie would come, and I don't even know, if, you know, maybe he still comes this way. I guess I don't pay any attention. He had shorts on and a cutoff shirt, you know, and, and he's up there worshiping, right? So afterwards, we got done with the service. Somebody pulls me off the side, and they're like, what are you going to do about that guy? <laughs> well, I'm like, he's a little. You can't do anything with him. <laughs> Isn't that true? Yeah. Right. That's first of all, right? Here's the other part of it. What are you talking? Like, I didn't really know. What are you talking about? And he was like, well, did you notice that he had tattoos? And did you notice that he wasn't dressed, you know, in a way to be honoring God and cover them up? Right? did you notice that? Because I just want to tell you, like, if you don't ask him to cover up his tattoos, we can't come to the church anymore. Yeah, that's what I said. I'm like, then I would find another place because I'm not, you see, it's neutral. Ernie chose to get a tattoo. Some people don't choose to get tattooed. Like, make your own decision, but it just should be okay, right? Like, make your own decision, do whatever you want to do, but that's a neutral thing. Like, we shouldn't be arguing over, nor should you be choosing a church over whether or not the guy does or doesn't have a tattoo. Right? Like, that shouldn't make any difference. That's legalism, and it errs on the side of legalism. How about this? Drinking, smoking, chewing, anybody, right? Because here's how it works, right? We all know this, so we all know this. We all know that Scripture says, don't get drunk, and we all know that Scripture says you shouldn't be a slave to anything. So is the question whether you should or should not be addicted to chewing or smoking or whether or not you should get drunk, that's not the issue, right? So when it comes to drinking, you can make your decision. If you want to drink, have a beer, right? Or whatever you drink. If you don't want to drink, don't, but keep it to yourself, right? Like there shouldn't be these decisions. I shouldn't look at somebody else and say, because I saw you at Pizza Hut, Mm. my small group leader I saw him at Pizza Hut and they had a beer and I'm like and right <laughs> completely different right if completely different if I saw somebody in church completely drunk my responsibility is that's a bad idea that's not that's not that's not freedom in Christ. That's not what we're talking about. Same concept when people will be like, well, you know, you smoke, you know, you chew, you know, you know, you have this addiction. And I always look at them and I'm like, and you don't have one? Come on, give me your coffee. Give me your sugar. Give me your... True? Right? Like a lot of people that will point at an addiction have one, but here's socially we've accepted some addictions and not others. Right? Like socially, we've accepted addictions to gluttony, right? And being overweight and all the stuff that goes with that. But we've not socially accepted these things. And so legalists take the things that are socially unacceptable and make them a mandatory thing. Surely, Christian people don't smoke. Surely, Christian people... Do you see where I'm going with all this? Like... This is a neutral thing that's not mandatory should we all work on our vices. Yeah. Right? We should all work on them. Right? 
But at the end of the day, it's neutral. It's not something that we're going to go over. How about this? And I, I put this one in there because it's kind of personal. When my kids were younger, uh, we wouldn't let them read Harry Potter books. Anybody else? Like, like we, were, we were like, and honestly, now that I think about it, I don't know why. I don't know if we thought they were going to be witches or wizards or, <laughs> like, I don't know why we thought it. You know, I think it was just a thing at the time that was like, everybody says don't read those types of books and we're just like, yeah, they shouldn't read those types of books. And I get why, you know, because what scripture says about wizardry and all that stuff that goes along with it. But my kids to this day will go to Universal for one reason and one reason only, to go to Harry Potter World and get a butterbeer. <laughs> I still, you guys are all going to crap over this, I still listen to the Harry Potter books at least twice a year. <laughs> It's a personal thing. I like it. I haven't become a wizard yet or a witch, and I know all the things that could go with that, and I understand where you're going, but at the end of the day, remember neutral things. Like, we got to work through these things. We got to talk about these things. We got to understand. I know that the, the, the eyes are, are, are window to the soul. We got to, I get all of that, so don't get me wrong, but I do understand where legalism, for no other reason than what we're talking about, is legalism. Does that make sense? Right? All right, so he goes on, and here's what he says after that. So he says, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare that every man who lets himself be circumcised is obligated to obey the whole law. You are trying to be justified uh, by the law and have been alienated from Christ, for you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await faith, the right, eagerly await by faith, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is expressing itself through love. So now this, there's this natural question that comes up, right? So we're talking about this idea of don't be a legalist, right? Don't be a works-based salvation. Don't be something where you think your works can save you. But now it comes to this idea, so how does works fit in? Right? That's what he's talking about now. So what does it mean, should the body of Christ, though our works don't save us, still should we do good works? Right? But here's the question. Why are you doing those works? You see, the problem becomes when you do works for the purpose of right standing or works for the purpose of pleasing God, that is a works-based salvation. You're doing works for the wrong reason. Does that make sense? Right? Like you're doing something for the purpose of self. You're going to elevate yourself in the sight of others. Look at me. I'm good. And you feel like you elevate yourself in the sight of God by look at me. I've done. Right? But with that, still, should we do good works? Yes. For what reason? For this. Listen to me. When the Holy Spirit does or asks you to do something, you know what we naturally do? You do it. Why? Because he told you to. Why? Because you're in relationship with. There's a difference between a works-based salvation and a relationship-based salvation. Works-based gets your standing and elevation by what you do. Faith-based or relationship-based says, I'm going to do good works. You know why I'm going to do good works? You know why I'm going on the mission trip? You know why I'm doing? You know why I'm serving? You know why I'm... Because he told me to do he told me to go, right? He told me to do something, and I'm going to do it, right? That's the idea. Still should do good works. Then he goes on in verse 7 and says this, you were running a good race. Who cut in, uh, cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of per, uh, persuasion does not come from those who calls, who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident that in the Lord you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish we'd go, they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves, which is kind of a funny ending to it, right? Instead of circumcision, just do the whole deal, right? Like, if you're going to live by the law, just go ahead and not just, you know, anyway, we won't go there. <laughs> so here's the idea. What's the power of the cross? Right? So what is the power of the cross that we need to understand? And why is people who are legalists always fight against the cross? Here's why. Remember this. So if you were checked out, come back in and listen to this. 
every single person in this room has to pay a debt. Every single person, right? Every single person in this room owes a debt, right? And here's the understanding that you need to get inside of your mind. No matter what you do, you can never pay the debt. Because I want you to think about this. If you're a business owner, we've all started businesses, unless you're like handed down to you, we all have debt, right? If you started a business, like you have debt. And then when business starts to go bad and money starts to get tight, what do we as business owners or people think about? We still got to pay the debt. So what do we naturally do? Work harder, right? Like that's the idea. Work more because there's a debt to be paid. So if I do more, then I will be able to pay this debt. So your natural thing, because we should do that. If you owe money, you should work hard and you should pay your debt. But that thinking does not work when it comes to faith. You can't work hard enough to pay your debt. Nothing that you could ever do will satisfy what God wants from you. The only thing that satisfies it is what happened on the cross. And the enemy of the cross are those people who think they are good enough by the things that they do. The enemy of the cross are those people that think they're in right standing because of the things that they do. The people that understand the power of the cross are those who said, I could have never done it, but he did it for me. Right, that's the power of the cross, and that's what he tells us. And we need to remember what the power of the cross is. I'm going to invite up the worship team. This is the last part of it. This is what he says. You, my brothers and sisters, were called, free, called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge your flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So... In every message that I've ever done that talks about grace against legalism, I've had a mother come up to me and be like, I wish you wouldn't have said that in front of my kids, right? Because here's the problem with when somebody hears a message on grace and mercy, their problem is my kid just heard that he can go do whatever he wants, right? So here's what I want you to understand. When he talks about freedom in Christ, just how he ends it right here, freedom in Christ is not to indulge and to do anything you want to do. Freedom in Christ is not like, oh, I got this issue solved in my life, which is salvation, and now I can live as if I want to. That's not freedom. That's not grace. That's not mercy. That's not what it means. That's not what he was talking about. You know what he's talking about is that here's how it works. Freedom in Christ means this, that you are now free to live empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know what the Holy Spirit does? So in your life, everybody before Christ, depends on what level it was, had a life before Jesus, and you had things before Jesus that even when you did them and they were wrong, didn't feel that wrong. True? And then you give your life to Jesus Christ, and then all of the sudden, those things that you did, because everybody, I don't know anybody that, like, they gave their life to Christ and then never had a problem again. You know what I mean? Like they gave their life to Christ and they didn't fall back at some point and do something that they had done before. But you know what the difference is? So it's this whole idea that, you know, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And when I, when I used to get hammered, what's the big deal? You just wake up with a hangover and drink a lot of water, right? Like I can fix the problem, right? Now you give your life to Jesus Christ. And not only do you wake up with a hangover, you wake up with a sense of that wasn't good. Anybody? That wasn't right. <laughs> That's not the way it's supposed to be. Because I'm telling you, when the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, now what you deem to be okay before, you no longer can deem it to be okay. You can no longer get to this place where all of those things are okay. Even if you want to try to justify it, inside of you is something that's going to say, uh-uh, that ain't right. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And I would say to anybody, if you're at a place in your life right now where you are doing those things and there's no sense of remorse, you might want to check your faith. If there's no sense of remorse, you know, I'm not saying you're not going to sin because we're all going to sin. We're all going to fall short of the glory of God. We're all going to make mistakes. But you, there still should be something inside of you to be like, uh-uh, not the way it's supposed to be, not the way that it's supposed to go. And then he ends it with this. You want to bring it all, you want to sum it all up? Let's just sum it all up like this. We wouldn't even have to worry about rules. 
if you would understand this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself, and it's the sum of all the law. If you just did those things, you know, we're trying to figure out how do we keep all the rules and how do we keep all... Listen, he just says, let me make it simple for you. Let's condense it all. If you want to understand how to do it, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, and love other people as you do yourself. It's the sum of everything. And if you want to see how it works, think about the Ten Commandments, right? If you want to go back to the beginning, think about the Ten Commandments. If you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, first one of the Ten Commandments, you shall not have any other gods before me. I love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, and soul. You don't have to worry about me, right? You don't have to worry about me figuring out whether or not I'm going to have any other gods before me. Or uh, the next one, you shall not make any other idols. Who's going to make an idol out of something better than God, right? When you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, how would you ever idolize something else? When you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, you're not going to use his name in vain. When you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, the option of coming on Sunday isn't an option. When I'm in love, I'm coming to the place where I'm going to worship the one that I love. You don't have to worry about somebody telling me to get up. I'm coming. I'm in love. Like I'm passionate about. I'm going to be there. Right? Like that's the way that it is. Or how about love people? right? So if you love people, think about this. The first commandment after that is honor your father and your mother. Kids, listen to me. If you love other people as you love yourself, do we really have to tell you to honor your father and your mother? Because I know what you're going to say, but they do and they do. And I'm like, so will you someday get over it, right? Get over yourself. Someday you're going to have the same problems. Someday you're going to have some of the same issues. The question is whether or not you can love them through their issues. That's what honoring people does. I will love them through their mistakes. I will love them through their shortcomings. I will honor them even though they don't deserve honor. That's what true loving, because that's what you want. You want loved unconditionally, right? You want those types of things in your life. And the other ones are just self-explanatory. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. And you shall not covet. You shouldn't covet. If you love other people, would you do any of those things? I mean, would you commit adultery? Would you, would you kill people? Would you be angry at people? Would you lust after other people's stuff? You wouldn't do that. If you love other people, that relationship is more important than your own desire. That makes sense? All right, will you stand so I can pray with you? Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, Lord, we, we um, are thankful that um, we can build a relationship with you, Lord, that we can understand that it's not just saying the words freedom, Lord. There's power in the cross that has set us free. That freedom is not just a word, Lord, that we're supposed to live set free by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us no longer go back to the yoke of slavery to somehow think the rules and the law are going to fix what's broke. Lord, we know through the power of the cross only you can fix what's broke. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.